Well, we're continuing our uh, journey through Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, hopefully there's a PowerPoint. I'm going to come up in a second. Uh, but we're looking at handling criticism. There it is, handling criticism. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. Who here likes criticism? Positive, Positive criticism. Okay, don't nick the sermon, Barbara. I'm coming up to that. Uh, who gives criticism? Who's good at giving criticism? Remember, you're not to bear false testimony. You've got to be honest. You know, sometimes all of us give criticism. And sometimes it's right to give criticism, uh, but it's about the way we give it uh, and why we give it. What's the motive uh, that we want to look at today? We want to hear these words of Jesus and I want to remind us, remember what's happening here. Jesus has uh, gone up um, the mountain. It's the Sermon on the Mount. There's the clue in the name. And uh, he sat down in... Followers, us, are sitting around him listening to his words. And the world looks on. So they're looking at Christians. And have you ever been in the workplace or at home if you're with a non-Christian and uh, you say something or do something and their line is, you're supposed to be a Christian. You know, they're, they're, you're the biggest criticizer of you uh, being a Christian. Because the world looks on. The world looks on at our character and the things we do, the things we say and whether we uh, live up to them. So if we've worked our way through the Sermon on the Mount, we've got... Uh, so far, Jesus has taught us about who we are, our character, how we live, our conduct, uh, who we are when no one's looking, praying, fasting, giving, a secret life, and what our desires are, our ambitions. But now, he's going to move on to how we deal and respond to other people, and particularly in the area of criticism, which is all around us, isn't it? I mean, the Brits, you know that, right? The Brits, uh, we, have a, we have a worldwide reputation for moaning. Do you know that? I lived in America. Uh, for a couple of years, and, and they say, so your Brits are always moaning. An Australian friend of mine said, you always know when the English have turned up, because they turn the engines of the planes off, you still hear the whining. <laughs> we do like a little moan, and we're not too bad, or I can't complain, I would if I could. How was your food? Yeah, it's all right, you know. Didn't put a foot wrong, as if we were waiting for them. Uh, to do exactly that. So, I'm going to talk, uh, read from this passage, and uh, we're in Matthew 7, um, and uh, right at the, uh, right at the uh, uh, beginning. So Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eyes? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. I mean, quite aggressive words uh, from our Lord. All of us have probably been on the receiving end of criticism. I know I have. I'm pretty sure all of you would have uh, been at some point as well. It might be from a boss, a colleague, maybe even a church member, maybe at home, from parents. Um, for us of those who are parents, we know we get criticised. Uh, our children can criticise us as well. Uh, you know, I get that a lot when I put on my clothes. My son said, what are you wearing? Uh, school, university, from a teacher, even friends. Um, about our work, marriage, the way we bring up our children. People think they have permission to speak into our lives. And it can be really hard to receive criticism. And sometimes it can run deep. And we hold on to it. And eventually, if we do, it scars us. And it hurts us deeply. And that can go on for years. And this is not God's best for us. God is for us. 
Uh, God is a positive God. There are times that we need rebuking. There's times we need encouraging. Uh, but it's our motives that we're going to look at. There are a lot of good teachers around. I have to say that because there's a few of you uh, in the congregation, but there are. And I think teaching uh, is a very difficult profession, harder than it used to be. Uh, I know there's lots of, like in everything, boxes to tick and offsteads to, uh, to sort out as well. But when I went to school, there were some good teachers, but there were a lot of bad ones uh, as well. Uh, bullies, really, when I look back, they were bullies. And they seemed to revel in the fact uh, or revel in the saying that you'll never amount to anything. For some reason, they said that to me more than the other kids. I can't quite remember why. But you'll never amount to anything. There's this kind of, you know, if you get the answer wrong, you're sent out of the classroom or ridiculed. Not by your peer group, because most of my class always got the answer wrong, but, but by the teacher. And in the end, I stopped putting my hand up. I thought it's not worth it, even when I thought I knew the right answer. Because I got ridiculed. You stupid idiot. I can remember uh, these words coming out. It's not like that anymore. I don't think. Um, certainly the schools I've gone into and done assemblies, the teachers, there seems to be a respect and uh, they still hold authority and everything is. But what I know is that years later, uh, 18 years later, after I left school, I went to Spurgeon's College, a Baptist theological college where we train, and um, I would know the answer to a question, but I'd go red in the face if I put my hand up. And I didn't realise how deep that had gone. And I'd held on to it, the criticism. And it's right that we pray for Andy and and there's other teachers here as well, because they have a tough job. So I'm saying this, this is not in my notes, I think I've just majored on teachers. Uh, but it's right to pray for them, because they have the power to build people up, uh, or they could tear them down with their words. We have, I have the power to do that as a parent. I have the power to do that as a minister. And you have the power to do that as church members and congregation. In some other cases, a chat or a phone call or an email that can start with, I don't mean to criticise, but, and you know what's coming, or I say this in love, that's another one we like to do, and my heart sinks. It does, because I know what's coming, it can't be good, but I always try and reflect when that happens, which it does, um, and in many cases, probably nearly all of them, uh, there's an element of truth. You don't like to admit it to yourself, uh, because no one likes to be told uh, they've done something wrong or could have done it better or anything else. It still hurts. But actually, if I embrace that and see it as an opportunity to change and change for the better, uh, I can grow. So that's good. But in this passage, Jesus is teaching us how to handle criticism in giving it and also receiving it, giving appropriate uh, responses. So I'm going to move on to my first point. There you go. First of all, we've got the command. Verse 1, do not judge. Do not judge. Now, it's clear that in other passages which we'll look at, there are times when we have to judge things. You know, Brian's checked Paul on his scripture use. They went back and checked it. They didn't judge him, but they checked it. It's right to do that. The preacher or anybody uh, doesn't have the last word on anything. But it's distinguishing between good judgment from judgmentalism. That attitude of, well, I'm, I'm going to pick four and I'm going to tear somebody down. And first glance, when you look at this passage, it would mean that we're not to judge anything. But we need to set the verse in its context. Jesus is teaching as a whole and the rest of the Bible. That's called theology. You know, we build a theology and what we do. What it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we ignore the authority of the state. They have no right to judge me. I can go 50 miles an hour down Perry Street, no matter how many people are in this church and we're parking on the road. Uh, that's not illegal. You're allowed to do that. It upsets the neighbours, uh, but uh, we're allowed to do it. But if I drive 50 miles an hour uh, and then get done for speeding, I can say, well, you can't, I can't say you can't do that. You can't judge me, because this is the words of Jesus. Romans 13, verse 4, says, uh, where Paul describes a judge as God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. 
He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So we know that the, the state and the authorities are there uh, to help provide law and order. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. Um, and we need to retain our freedom to obey, obey God before men, but I'm not aware of many things, that, or anything really, that I'm forced to do that is against the word of God. I'm not forced to do it. I might choose to do it, but I'm not forced to do it yet uh, here. It doesn't mean to say there's no authority in the home. So when you, when you go back and the kids are learning this uh, in their groups, and they say, you can't judge me, you can say, no, 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 there are verses that you know are in those notes, so don't try that one. Uh, loads of verses in Proverbs encouraging parents to exercise authority at home. And I'd, I'd hasten, I mean, I, I think, well, no, well, let's not go down to opinions. Maybe there could be more sometimes. Um, but of course there's discipline, and of course there's boundaries, and so there should be. That's an act of love. God gives us discipline and boundaries, uh, to work within, so therefore we give it to our children. It's because we love them. It's actually a sign of not loving them because you just don't care and let them get do whatever they want. It doesn't mean to say there's no authority in the church. Controversial. Discipline is sometimes necessary. A definition at the time of the Reformation, which celebrates its 500th year this year, uh, said a place where the word is preached, the sacraments are administered, and discipline is exercised. Can you imagine that? And it's all in line with New Testament teaching. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, Timothy's encouraged to correct, rebuking uh, with great patience and careful instruction. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul stresses that the church must deal with those who are guilty of serious sin or immorality. Titus 2.15, encourage and rebuke with all authority. So there are times when there might be some sort of criticism. If someone's outwardly doing something very, very wrong, you need to draw them in and talk to them. I remember at my ordination, Nigel Wright preached and he said, Ian, uh, or he said to you, actually, uh, those that were there, um, he said, Ian is, uh, Ian is a servant of the church, uh, but the church is not his master. Only one person is. So as ministers, we have to honour God, and sometimes that means we have to speak to people as if for God. It doesn't mean never. Um, there are right times uh, to criticise or rebuke or whatever it is. Jesus says to watch, watch out for false prophets in this, going on from this passage, which we'll come on to in a few weeks, verse 15 to 20. He says, look at their fruit in verse uh, 16 and 20. You know, look at their fruits. So he's, he's, he's saying, you're judging them. You're judging. Are they false teachers? And we need to do that. And as already mentioned, Paul, uh, when he uh, spoke, the range checked what he said against scripture. So that's right. Uh, Jesus said, stop judging by appearances and make a right judgment, John 7, 24. In 1 John 4, 1, test the spirits. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, test everything. So sometimes there is a, a, a right and proper way uh, to look at somebody and, or their teaching or whatever it is and have some sort of judgment. But as always, uh, the, the gist of this passage, Jesus is looking into our hearts. We're not to be like the Pharisees. Elsewhere he said, do not be like them. Do not be like them with their hypocritical talk and their self-righteous criticism, thinking that they were the religious elite and could judge everybody, judge everybody because they were so perfect. It's about not having a judgmental attitude, kind of you know, not letting that, that criticism and that attitude be in your default position. You know, There are some people I know will criticise me, and I'm sure you know some people that will criticise you. But it's, that, it's almost like the default. And, and that's what I think Jesus is talking about here, that kind of constantly tearing people down. It's not what we're about. The Greek word uh, used here means to criticise, to find fault, to condemn. To condemn, it's a strong word. 
this constant tearing people down. It's a bit like, in the, I've got to lighten the mood a little bit. Anyone watch The Simpsons? Own up to it. Honestly, oh, well done. Three people. It's like in The Simpsons when... What's that? No, I'm not criticising you. It's going to be my illustration. I'm criticising them for lying. There's loads more that I've watched The Simpsons. It's like in The Simpsons when Homer, system, Homer Simpson asks his church where they've been wearing their fluffy white socks and uh, asking the neighbours where they've been. I was at Bible camp where we learnt to be more judgmental. I mean, it's a joke. Uh, and I'm not saying there's any truth in that at all. But we can be and we don't want to be. We need to exercise good judgment rather than being judgmental. There's a difference. Not making the errors of weaknesses of others bigger than they are, which we can fall into temptation of. Not being fault finders, negative and destructive. I'm reading a biography on Martin Lloyd-Jones. Anyone heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones? A few more than The Simpsons, which is interesting. (laughs) Uh, He was um, a famous Welsh preacher, uh, really preached the gospel, um, and uh, in his prevailing time, uh, when churches weren't, uh, evangelicalism was nearly written off, and um, yet God blessed his church because he was faithful to the Bible, and uh, he was the preacher at Westminster Chapel where R.T. Kendall took over afterwards. Uh, and he said this, he was a really quite straight-talking man. If you want to look him up on YouTube, have a, listen to some of his sermons. They're really good. Um, but he said, if we ever know the feeling of being rather pleased when we hear something unpleasant about another... That is the wrong spirit. So ask yourself that when you go home. It's not meant to be condemning or judgmental or criticising, but just check, have a spiritual health check. Sometimes it happens, you say, oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, they did that, did they? That's interesting. It might, for a second, it might make us feel better, but it doesn't last for long. So why not criticise? Jesus gives us uh, some answers. Uh, Jesus gives good reason, verses 1 and 2, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if I'm criticising somebody, I don't know. Let's think of saying that I have not criticised someone for in this church. Someone didn't do the washing up. Now, I may have said it at home, but I haven't said it in the church. Um, uh, and then I don't do the washing up. Well, I'm get, then if I'm casting judgement on them, then I should be judged. You see what I mean? I've got to look at myself first. I've got to look at myself first, otherwise the same judgment is measured to me. He also says, verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, I've seen two versions of this in film land. When Katie earlier said, uh, what's your image of God? I, I don't know about you, I've got, was it Robert Powell in Jesus of Nazareth, 1977? And I thought, I oh, know that's not him, but Jesus is God, and that was my image. And um, he did well, he ended up in Holby City, and he didn't stay the Messiah for too long. Um, but we've got one God. Uh, that, was my, that, was my, uh, that was my image. But I've seen a few films uh, uh, of the Gospels, and it's interesting, some of them would be very much, why do you look at the speck of sawdust? in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. And then I saw uh, another one, a more modern one. It went, and it was Jesus the joker. I'm not being disrespectful, but it was, why are you looking? Why are you looking at at the speck in your brother's eye? I mean, you've got a plank in your own. You're walking around with this big plank and you're, you're pointing out all the faults of all the brothers. So there's different ways of looking at it. And I like to think that's how Jesus is saying it to us. It's very serious but he's almost, he's almost incredulous, isn't he? He's like, why, why are you doing it? Why are you criticising everybody else? You know, look at yourself. Not to be put down, but just say, look, work on your own character. You know, leave me to deal with them. There's times when you might have to speak up, 
But don't be hypocritical. He says that. Strong words. Verse 5. You hypocrite. If you're somebody who continually criticises, people will do a couple of things. They'll start to look much more closely at your life because they're going to want to get you back. And also, they're going to stop listening to you. It'll almost be, well, you know, I know it's coming and it's just going to go straight over my head. And the problem is, the people who are the most judgmental often can't take it themselves. I mean, many churches, this is not, it hasn't happened to me here, not that I'm aware of, uh, but the congregations will sit there and they'll go home for lunch and have roast preacher. And I've been, I've been uh, around people's houses and heard them absolutely tear apart a sermon or worship or the service or how someone's spoken. They just, all they seem to want to do is criticise about the service. It's not great evangelism. Equally, you can have overjudgmental leaders who are lording it over the people, and that's not to happen either. Having said that, Jesus is probably referring to the fact that God, in his love and grace, has shown us infinite mercy. He saved us from the judgment that it really due to us. So in light of that, shouldn't we, who have received mercy, show more mercy than we sometimes do? Even in ministry, if I allow others to judge me, and don't get me wrong, I listen uh, to, I like to say it, critiques rather than criticism, uh, which I think is a better word. But I, I listen. I don't like criticism, but I will listen to it. And normally, as I've said earlier, there'll be something in there, but I won't hold on to it, particularly straight after a service. So if you're going to come up to me after, it's not worth it. I won't listen. And the worst thing we can do as ministers, and as most people really, is to try, then try and defend yourself. Uh, because um, often people won't know the whole story. And if you're in any position of authority, minister, headmaster, teacher, policeman, judge, whatever it is, whatever, parent, not everyone knows the whole story. And they might be quick to judge and it might be easy to defend yourself. But if you do that, you make them, you make them your judge. And that place is only reserved for God. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 4, it's the Lord who judges me. It's the Lord who judges me. Whenever I preach a sermon, I feel, always feel low after a sermon. It's quite a normal thing for preachers. Tom gets it well and he says, did I do this and do that? I say, Tom, it's not for me to judge. I'll critique if you want, but it's, it's God. Just go to God with it. All of us, we don't often know all the facts, but God does. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, only God knows what is hidden in darkness and the motives of people's hearts. Deal Moody, anyone date, this is like a quiz today, isn't it? Anyone know Deal Moody? Now, I know you're lying because he's dead. So you don't know him. You know of him. So there's a little catch out there. You've got to watch. You've got to choose the words carefully, haven't you? Uh, someone else uh, heard of D.L. Moody? Who else? Someone put a, hat on, a few more. A few more. So Simpsons is the worst one so far. Okay, D.L. Moody. He was one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century. And he said this. You may find hundreds of fault finders among professed Christians, but all their criticism will not lead one solitary soul to Christ. I mean, I'd add to that, it might, it might turn them away. I've never preached a sermon yet that I myself could not pick to pieces and find fault with. So he's looking at his own stuff as well. And he, he knows, I know I'm not perfect. I feel that Jesus Christ ought to have a far better representative than I am. But I've lived long enough to discover there is nothing perfect in this world. If you wait until you find a perfect preacher or a perfect church or a perfect church member, I'm afraid you'll have to wait a long time. Let's be done with the fault finding. They're good words. You know, apparently he was pretty good as a preacher. Uh, no one will be talking about me in a couple hundred years' time. So then, finally, we're going to live it out. Um, how do we live it out? Uh, the application, how does it work out in practices found, uh, found in verses 5 
and 6. Again, not all criticism is bad. Sometimes we need to hear things. Um, constructive criticism, which Barbara uh, said, you had my last point, very good. Um, we need to hear it. Sometimes we do have to say something as ministers or church members, whatever it is, it's born out of a relationship. I recently had my year review. You were as bad excited as I was. It was good. It was a good time, wasn't it, Paul? Yeah, there you go. Paul came um, and John. And we sat down and I listened. And uh, they didn't actually, I don't think they criticised anything. But I mean, certainly my elders uh, are very good at telling me if uh, something's out of line or maybe we should have thought of this. And I value that. I don't like it. I don't like being told I've missed something. But it's really valuable and I have to listen. And it's right and proper uh, to do that. But in a review, I, mean, I used to do reviews, we used to call them 360 degree appraisals. Ever heard of that? Got loads more than Homer. Um, you know, when people who are in the whole rank and file below you and the people above you and your peer group are asked all sorts of things about you. And you don't take a comment in isolation, but if all of them are saying something, there's something in it and that's, that's what you get fed back. And I used to run these appraisals and in them there was a technique that um, you sandwiched the bad news between the good news. So you started off with positivity. You said these are the areas that you should be working on, which roughly translates was if you don't do this you get no bonus. Um, and, and then at the end you'd say, but I just want to end on a good note. Da, 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 da. And that's what you would do. And so there was a temperament uh, in it. But, so we do need to hear constructive criticism. Um, I want someone to tell me if I'm hitting the golf ball bad, I'm doing something wrong in my swing. I want that. I can ignore it. I've, I've, uh, I have lessons. Um, I want him to tell me what I'm doing wrong. I want someone, godly people, to tell me if my attitude's wrong, to take me aside and say, Ian, you know, just be careful. Uh, you've slipped into this or whatever it is. Proverbs 15 verse 5 said, A fool spurns a parent's discipline. And 15.32, those who heed correction gain understanding. We've always got something to learn. Sometimes as ministers, as I've said, we have to say things people may not want to hear. We don't do that lightly uh, or joyfully, really. Uh, It's difficult. uh, And we know we have to answer to God for it. But equally, we have to listen as well. But what we don't want is that unkind, hypocritical criticism that condemns instead of comments that are made with humility and understanding. Often, and myself, I count myself in this, we can have a very rosy view of ourselves and an unbalanced, critical view of others. Accuse others, but not looking at my own heart. John Stott said, we need to be as critical of ourselves as often as we are of others and as generous to others as we are to ourselves. This part of Jesus' teaching is asking us to look at ourselves and not be so ready to ignore where he might be challenging you. And it's, and it's good to think about that. He might be challenging you uh, to change because you're too busy picking fault with everybody else. And yet the plank is right there in your own eye, verse 5. It's those so big that you fail to see uh, what's going on because you're so busy looking at all the other specks. And some limitations, so in verse 6, Jesus recognises that we can try our best. Um, often with biblical precedent, uh, we can really try and work with someone, try and talk to somebody. In this instance, it's about sharing uh, the gospel. The gospel is the precious pearl uh, that he's talking about. Some uh, go on and on, choosing not to accept it. Some just won't accept it, they make it a decision. And they choose to remain unclean. The pigs in those times were the unclean. And there's examples where I've had on Alpha where I've said exactly the same thing to one person and the other person's heard the same and one just chooses to refuse. 
uh, to accept, yet the evidence is there for them to see. Basically for us, everything we say and do should be with the motive of love. If we do need to criticise, then it's got to be with humility, understanding, generosity and sympathy, trying to combine with affirmation, that appraisal system. Good, not so good, good. You know, send people out feeling better about meeting you. I remember, it can be done really well. This is a true story. Me and Tim, Tim's not here. Uh, we were two sales traders, uh, an American company called Donaldson Lufkin and Gemret. Test you on that later on. Remember DLJ. Um, and we were starting this new business in London. It was the, they were an American broker and they wanted to start an international business in London. And so they started it up and they hired all the best sales traders from all the other firms. And there we were. And Tim and I get on really well. We're still good friends. And um, they sat us together. And what happened was we were writing some really good tickets, really good. Uh, but we were having a lot of fun doing it. I'm a big believer in fun. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So I believe in fun. And so we had fun doing it. And we weren't, I wouldn't say we were mucking about, but certainly having fun. Um, and those of you who know me, no, that's fine. I, don't, I really have no issue with it. But it started to get on some of the managers' nerves a bit. Even though we were making a lot of money for the firm, they didn't like it that we seemed to be enjoying ourselves at the same time. So, um, I can't, I won't name the name, but, but so the head of sales, head of global sales, I come in, I've had two weeks off holiday, and I'm coming, coming we used to buy our teas, because uh, we left so early, we used to buy our teas on the way in. And I got off at Liverpool Street Station, walking up uh, to Old Broad Street, got my tea, and Tim said, I've got some bad news. He said, but you're going to, you're going to, he so warned me, right? He warned me it was bad news. He said, but you're going to love it because this guy's such a good salesman. I said, what are you talking? He said, they've split us up. So while you've been away, they've moved your desk. I said, you're joking. What have they done that for? He said, I'm going to let you speak to Mark and let, he'll tell you what he's done. I said, okay, well, I'm fuming. I've got my tea. I've got in. I'm ready for the conversation. This guy comes. He said, Ian, can I just speak to you before the market opens? I said, yeah, no problem. I'm ready for you. And we went into the, um, went into it. He said, now, look, this is what's happening. You and Tim have got a great working relationship, and it's really, really good for the business. I thought, right, I've got him. He won't, he won't, he won't catch me out. And he said, and because you're having so much fun while you do it, it creates a fantastic atmosphere, but only with you two sitting together. And what I want is that to permeate through the dealing room. So what I've done is I've put Tim over there and I've moved your desk to right over there because we want your influence to permeate the dealing room. And I said, thanks, Mark. Brilliant. And I walked out and I thought, he's just given me bad news and I've liked it. (laughs) He's actually criticising, saying, you're larking around too much, I'm splitting you up. But somehow, this is why he was head of global sales, he convinced me it was a good idea. If we are going to critique something or give criticism, we can have the right heart and say the right things. But we do need to have that self-awareness. Look at ourselves as well. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you try and achieve anything in life, you should expect criticism. Jesus warned about it, um, often from those who sit on the sidelines. It's been said that to avoid it is easy. You do nothing, say nothing, and you'll end up, and you'll be nothing. Sometimes we have to stand up to criticism. Nancy Astor, anyone know Winston Churchill? Let's just get there, come on. So many more people than Homer. You know what I'm going to say? Nancy Astor once said to Winston Churchill, if I were your wife, I'd put poison in your coffee. To which he replied, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. (laughs) 
Philip Brooks. Who knows Philip Brooks? This is no one's going to know him. Philip Brooks. Phil, to his friends. I've made that up. He was a 19th century preacher, all from the 19th century. And one day he received a letter that simply said, he opened it up with a bit of paper, he preached on the Sunday, he got home, someone had put it in his jacket, and he got home, he opened it up, it went full. Just that's just all it was. I mean, that's not encouraging, is it? Full. Next Sunday, trying to defend himself, school by error, he said he'd received many letters, he said it from the pulpit, many letters in his lifetime from people who sometimes forgot to sign their name. He said, but in this instance last week, it's the first time that I've received a letter where someone signed their name but forgot to write the letter. (laughs) (laughs) Words are powerful. We need to communicate in a godly fashion. The communication, I found, is vital. I mean, emails and texts, brilliant. I can hit 20 people or whole church membership in one go. But so often, uh, the smile as you're writing it doesn't get across. Or the anguish. Uh, doesn't get across. And when you actually speak to somebody, you sort, first of all, you sort it out really quickly. Um, and uh, it's a good way of sorting things out. But you've realised that actually motives were okay. Proverbs 15, verse 4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. You know, communication is key. And so I'd encourage you this morning, sow good things into people's lives. It might be that sometimes there's a word or you have to receive a word and it's difficult. Encourage others, don't tear them down. Make sure that any criticism is constructive, that the motive is right and make sure it's sandwiched between encouragement. Maybe take a health check in your small groups, DG groups. If you're not in one, you can get in one, see Kevin uh, or Adrian. But think about it, or think about it personally in your devotional time. Chat with your friends. Dare to ask them. Dare to ask them, look, you know, are there things where I'm a little bit overly critical? And while I was sitting there, I've, I've written it on here, it wasn't in my original notes, and I feel God speaks something uh, to me, not for me, although it might be for me, when I look at my own golf game, um, but I think for you, or certainly people here. And I think it's a word, uh, and, but you need to test it. For people here, can you stop criticising yourself? You know, we're very good at putting ourselves down. We can be. Low self-esteem, or you've listened to those school messages, or wherever it is it came from. Stop putting yourself down. Uh, Don't criticise yourself. You can be self-aware. But God is for you. He's not against you. And he knows you're not perfect. That's why we have the cross. Only one is perfect. It's not you. And just to uh, finish, Philippians 2. I I read from uh, the passage following this uh, last week as we opened worship. And then Katie said, oh, this has been on my heart. I said, that's interesting. That was kind of just before the passage. So I'm going to read it out. So take this as a word from God. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Let's be encouragers, people that, uh, people that others want to meet. Hebrews 3.13, in the context of church, says encourage one another daily. There's enough discouragement and hardship out there. Uh, we don't want it among ourselves. Think about your lives, the words you use. Be a positive person. Build people up. Be forgiving. Be merciful. Think the best. God does for you. You know, when, as earlier we heard about, when we think about what God has done, surely I can do that for him. Surely I can look out for others. So let me pray and then we'll uh, worship. 
We thank you for your word, Lord, and we, we thank you that sometimes it really does uh, pierce our very inner being. Lord, so I'm someone here now who can stand and say I'm preaching this, and yet I know it's an area that I have to deal with. And for those that it's the same, I pray your Holy Spirit would minister to them. In the days, weeks, months, years ahead, this will be a constant work in their character. I pray, Lord, we'll be a people that will really uh, be a pleasure to come across, that people would want to see us because we're so positive. And even when there are things to say or we have to challenge or even rebuke, it's done in such a way that, that the hearer is grateful uh, rather than just admonished and sent away condemned. So search us, O Lord, and see if there is offending ways in us. Send us out to be your people, your ambassadors, spreading your good news and your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your love to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.